Come on. Well, good morning, Life Church. Uh, and all those that are joining us online this morning, so grateful that you're with us. Always want to say this make sure you get your cinnamon bun out of the microwave and heat up your coffee because we're in for a wild ride this morning. It's going to be great. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Matt, along with my wife Tanya. We're the lead pastors here at Life Church. We get to serve with Pastors Mike and Ev Schroeder as, the, as your pastors, and it is such an honor to do that. And speaking of honor, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a detour. Um, we have somebody here who's got a, a, an incredible history with this church. Church, do you know that we have an amazing heritage? And I got to tell you, this guy is somebody that I look up to. Um, he makes great soup. He's incredible. And a, and a few weeks back, we had the opportunity to sit together in his home and just chat. And it was just rich. It was so good. And every chance I get to hang out with this guy is a blessing. Pastor John Clark has would, pastored this church as a lead pastor for 18 years. Is that right? And he's pastored and told for 35 years. And he actually wrote a book. So this morning, church, we get to be a part of a book release. I'm going to have Pastor John come up and just share a little bit about that book. But as he comes up, can we all just honor him this morning and just give him a hand? This is a man of God. Come on up, Pastor John. Thank you, Matt. And... uh... Thank you for the privilege and honor to uh, flog my book here a little bit. And uh, I, uh, I'm here to declare this morning that our God is really a loving, creative God. And uh, he says in the word, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, to unpack that verse is a whole sermon. I don't get to do that this morning, but there's a whole sermon there, and it relates to Liza's and my adventure in life, our journey. So, uh, this book, uh, just to straighten it out, what Matt just said, basically, we came here when we were practically teenagers. We pastored under Vern Wilson for 18 years. Then we became the senior pastors and did that for about 15 years. And then we turned the church over to a younger guy uh, as this other chapter came online. Uh, if you add it all up, it's probably 40 years of hanging around doing pastoral stuff here. So that's, you know, that's the year of tribulation, 40. 40 years in the desert, you know, rained 40 days and nights, which is doing out there right now. Um, so I've, I've got the scars to prove it. And uh, so at this point, I get to do adventures. So this book we wrote about 15 years ago, this covers our journey, spiritual journey, from the time we found uh, or Christ found us to our journey in the church. It's kind of my uh, summa theologia, Thomas Aquinas, uh, spiritual teaching and storytelling. It's called The Inheritance. There's copies around here. And then uh, life took a real turn, and it took me 10 years to write this book called Cast Off Your Bow Lines. Uh, the reason it took 10 years is that I didn't know what I was writing about. And uh, it covers, um, you know, I, I never really planned to be a pastor. I got conscripted into it. Next thing I know, 35 years later, I got sort of conscripted out of it, and that's a whole story, but uh, I started to write because I love to write, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the theme. Uh, with this book, the theme was really clear to me, and I just kind of went according to the backbone of the story. With this one, what, Lord, what am I really writing about? Well, it's mostly storytelling. So uh, if you get this book and you like a good sailing story, it's a true one. I didn't make it up. Uh, it's full of stories on the water. Um, and the Cast Off Your Bow Lines title comes from a Mark Twain quote, of all things. Uh, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed in the things you didn't do 
than the things you did do. So cast off your bow lines, leave your safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. So God's a creative God in that after uh, a whole journey, I pretty well thought I'd passed her till they carried me out and buried me in the local plot, you know, or, or till Jesus came. But um, it didn't quite work that way. Uh, after some difficult experiences, it's kind of a God story, and uh, I'll just summarize it to say it's in four sections. The first is uh, cast off your bow lines. It's how we got from pastoring after 35 to 40 years to being skippers of a sailing ship on the B.C. coast, which we've now been doing for almost 17 summers. So uh, people used to say, hey, pastor, hey, pastor. I don't get that anymore. They always go, hey, captain, hey, captain. So, you know, I, I morphed into a new identity. The second part of the story is um, Pacific Encounters, which is how we this leave your safe harbor. It's how we went from being pastors into starting a charter business where we take people from all over the world out on the coast of British Columbia. Third part of the story is catch the trade winds in your sails. It's our journal of crossing the Pacific Ocean, sailing to the Hawaiian Islands, back to Alaska, and back down a five-month journey. I take the reader with us. The final section is uh, explore, dream, discover, and it's called Legacy. And it basically goes into two short chapters about our boating legacy and my family. This goes back to the 16 and 1700s. And I highlight a place called Princess Louisa, which is a gem on our coast um, that's one of the seven wonders of the world. I squire people there all the time, and they're blown away. And so I do a little thing called Princess Encounters and uh, cover what that place means to us spiritually, what it means to us in terms of our journey. So I thank God that he's creative. You might think, well, I, you know... I had one little journey in my life, vocationally or relationally, and it came to an end, and I'm kind of at loose ends. I don't know where to go from there. The theme of this book is really about God is always creative. doesn't matter where you feel you've come and you might be the end of something. He always has something more. And I have never been happier. I really enjoyed pastoring. I had a great run, but I'm having... Uh, even more fun right now. I, I get to squire people around our coast. I get to do what I love, and I get to hang out with people that aren't Christians, and I get to tell stories. And you can imagine that's a volatile mix, and it surely is. So here's the deal. Um, they're at the back table. If you buy one, this is my, I'm not much of a businessman, but here's the deal. They're $16.99 retail Got to add a GST onto that, makes it about $17.85. Not too bad. Uh, if you buy more than one, I give you an author's price of $15 a copy. So, you know, Christmas is near. You might have a sailing friend or somebody you want to get a book for. You buy two or more, $15 a piece. Such a deal. Okay? Okay. Thanks. Right on. Thank you, Pastor John. I'm excited about that. I can't wait to get my hands on it. He kind of teased me with it when we were hanging out. He's like, hey, there's this one time this thing happened off the coast. I'm like, well, tell me about it. He goes, you got to get the book. <laughs> okay. This is good salesmanship. That's good. Creating need. I love it. All right. Well, this morning, you guys, this morning we are concluding our first ever ser sermon series as lead pastors. How many of you have been enjoying the sermon series on values? Yeah, it's been good, eh? We have had so much fun. We have just, it's just been so life-giving to us to be able to share these values with you. And it's been so exciting to be able to do it. Today, we're going to conclude the series with our last value. And we're going to get to that in just a second. It might just pop up there on my back. I don't know. But let's just review real quick. So what this is going to look like is we're going to review. Then we're going to explain what the last value is. We're going to, of course, read our scriptures this morning. We have a couple of texts we're going to read. Then uh, we're going to spend some time this morning. And this morning is actually about a charge to you as a church, a charge to you to go out and live out these values. And I can't wait to get to that. Um, as we review today, however, uh, we, we talk about this idea that we have a purpose at Life Church. And who here knows the purpose by heart by now? 
Come on, it's been eight weeks, six weeks. Anybody know it? Eight, seven weeks. Anybody know the purpose? We are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. Amen? We are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. What's the big idea? We don't save anybody. He does. And so that's our mission. That's our goal in life is to bring as many people to Jesus as we can so that they can encounter the life giver, the healer, the way maker. Come on. The miracle worker. They can encounter his presence. Amen? Uh, so what do we value? We value the Word of God. We build our lives on His Word. We value worship. We are a Holy Spirit-led church who lives to see God glorified in all things. We value prayer. We are a house of prayer dependent on Jesus Christ. We value rest. Come on, we will operate out of a place of grace. Everybody take a deep breath. <gasps> And just let it out. (sighs) Come on, it's His grace working in us. It's God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God is working in you right now. Uh, we Number five is growth. We believe that healthy things grow. Come on, we believe that God's called us to grow so that we can help others to grow. And that's where we get the idea also of family. We are a diverse, welcoming community. We are for each other. And the one who is uh, who we serve is greater than the things that divide us. Amen? And then finally, honor. We value last week and cheer each other on. Come on. We value and cheer each other on. We are for each other. We want to see each other grow. We want to see each person in this place healthy and strong in the Lord and living out the best days of their destiny today. Amen? Amen. So we honor. And today, our final value, and the one that we're going to camp on today, is kingdom-minded. Everybody say kingdom minded kingdom minded today we're talking about kingdom minded here's the big idea we think outside of ourselves we think outside of ourselves and and the way i want to communicate this around today is to um share with you one aspect of our plan and our vision that we haven't shared with you yet which is our vision statement And so when we talked about, you know, what do we want to see for the church? We talked about a purpose, and our purpose is we are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. We talked about our mission with our group, and and there's some things that we want to accomplish and see happen in our church this year, but, uh, pardon me, in 2022 in particular. Uh, But there was another one that we, we kind of wrote down that is kind of nailed down in stone, and that is our vision, and this is it, church. If you want to know what we see for Life Church, Pastor Matt, what do you see for Life Church? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. This is what I see for Life Church. We envision a thriving church that impacts all people. We envision a thriving church that impacts all people. What does that mean? That we're living out these values. That we're seeing people grow in health and in their faith. That we are seeing people learning to honor each other because they have confidence in who God has called them to be. That we are a family who are united by a single person and his name is Jesus. Come on, this is what we see for us, a thriving church that impacts all people. And this morning, we're going to talk about how we are going to impact all people and what that's going to look like. In our text this morning, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Before we get there, I'm going to read one passage to you, then we're going to pray. Come on, we we value the Word of God, so we start in His Word all the time. We always start in His Word, then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to preach I've got five charges for you today, and then I'm going to release you to go out into that lovely weather. All those that are at home, I don't blame you. All those that are here, you are radicals for Jesus, and I love it. Amen. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verses uh, 17, and this is what it says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and this is what it says. Therefore, when they had all come together, this being the disciples, and they're speaking to Jesus now, they asked him, being Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful this morning for your word. God, your word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord God. It divides between the soul and the spirit. It discerns to the intents of the heart. And this morning, Lord God, we come under the authority of your word. We pray, Lord God, that every word that I speak this morning, Lord God, would be a reflection of your glory. God, I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way. This is nothing to do with me. This is everything to do with you. And we glorify you this morning. We pray that you be lifted up, Lord God. And Lord God, that you would be exalted exalted in this place as we worship by declaring your word this morning, Lord God. We pray that you would come and fill this place and change each and every heart. We open ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, there are certain memories that stand out from my childhood. Oftentimes, those memories are uh, exceptional things that happened. Uh, They may be exciting things that happened, but the ones, of course, that stick out the most are embarrassing things that happened. And the story I'm about to tell, in hindsight, actually isn't that embarrassing. Isn't that kind of funny how when you're a kid, things just seem like such a big deal? But then when you get older, you look back, you go, that wasn't a big deal. But to me, at the time, this was a big deal. Now, at the time, I think I would have been about six or seven maybe eight, not sure, somewhere in that age range, six to eight. And uh, my dad, who's sitting right over there, who gave the word this morning, he's an awesome man of God. Uh, My dad was actually on staff at our school and at our church. And I went to a private school where we had the Christian school attached, kind of like this, actually. We had the the Christian school attached to the church. So I would finish school, and I would wander over to my dad's office, and we would chat, and then I'd go, like, hang around in the church. And one of the things that my dad did is he also was our basketball coach at our school. And when he wasn't coaching, he was refing basketball. So I grew up kind of in a basketball home, like a sports home. And so after school, there was always something going on. And I'd have to wait till my dad was done work before I could go home. And on this particular day, he was refing the basketball game. And so I'm there playing around on the side, and there's a big crowd of people around the court, you know, watching the game. There's this game going on. My dad is refing. I'm doing my thing. And halftime comes around. And there was this magical thing that used to happen at basketball games. And as a little kid, this was a big deal. It was called the concession stand. And yes, it's real. It's true. And I used to go and, and, you know, wander past past the concession stand and stare. And they would have all these glorious candies sitting out there. And I was like, oh, man, I want to get me some candy. I am so excited about this candy. And I'd kind of just stand there and eyeball people as they're getting stuff to see if they'd hand me some stuff. And it was halftime. And I ran up to my dad. And, and I was like, Dad, hey, the concession stand is open. Can, can I have some money? And he handed me some bills. Now, back then, we didn't have loonies and toonies, so it might have only been like a dollar. But in my brain, it was five bucks that he handed me. And in the 1980s, which was when this would have been, that was actually a lot of money for candy. So he gives me like five bucks, and I go up to the candy stand, and the ladies are sitting there. And I'd never really done this before, so I'm kind of nervous. And I'm like, hey, I got some money. And I kind of put it down. And they're like, hey, what do you want? I'm like, I want that. They're like, okay, and hand it to me. And I'm like, and I want that. And okay, then they hand it to me. And I want that. Okay, and is there anything else? Uh, you mean I can get more? Yeah, you can get more. Oh, okay, this is awesome. So I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And I had this handful of candy. And I was so excited because my dad had just bought me all this candy. And you know what I wanted to do as a good son? I wanted to go show my dad the candy. And so I grabbed the candy, and I turned around, and I ran out onto the basketball court, and I tugged at my dad's uh, shirt, and I said, Dad, Dad, look it! I got all this candy! And my dad turned to me, kind of abruptly, actually, in my memory. He turned into a monster! No, he didn't. You know how the memories go. He turned to me, and he says, Son, the game's on! Get off the court! And then it dawned on me. And I looked up, and my eyeballs were this big. And all around me were people staring at me and laughing in my memory. They probably didn't care. But in my memory, they were laughing at me. And I tell you, they were. And there I was, getting mocked for showing my dad the candy. And the basketball players were going up and down the court going, what is this kid doing? 
And I turned and I dramatically rushed off the court and threw myself on the ground and wept bitterly. Probably wasn't that dramatic. But you know what had happened is I'd gotten so enamored with my candy that I lost sight that there was something bigger going on around me. I lost sight that there was something bigger going on around me. And church, I think that too often as believers, we can get so caught up in our moment and in our thing and what's going on right in front of us that we miss the fact that God is doing something greater around us. That God is moving in a way all around us, even in the midst of our thing. God is still moving all around us. We get so hyper-focused on what's happening right now and in our sphere, in our lives, that we can forget the greater things. The disciples definitely had this problem. See, in the book of Acts, they, they come to Jesus as he's about to ascend into heaven, and they ask him a question that they had been asking through his entire ministry, which is, hey, Jesus, do you think now's the time where you're going to establish your kingdom on this earth? And it was a question that they had, had been asking many, many times. You see, the disciples had this idea in their minds that what Jesus was going to come and do was establish an earthly kingdom. He was going to be the great leader that was going to deliver the Israelites from the Romans. He was the great leader that was going to set them up as a city on a hill, and he was going to come. And so they kept asking him, hey, when you come into your glory, can I sit at your right hand and your left hand? And what they're actually saying is, like physically in your castle that you're going to build when you take over the world, can I, can I lead with you? The disciples had this idea in their mind that the kingdom that Jesus was going to bring was for here and for now. It was like the candy in the hands of an eight-year-old at a basketball game. So focused on this moment. And Jesus' response to them was telling. Because he said to them, no, he said, listen, it's not for you to know this. But he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, You shall receive power, and then you shall be witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the thing that God was doing was greater than the thing that the disciples were holding on to. God didn't want to just impact one nation in one generation. God had a plan to come and impact every generation and start a movement that would change the planet. And church, guess what? We're a part of that movement. We are the body of Christ. So what is this kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about? We read about it at the beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And then again, we find it in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, where Jesus says this. I think we get a glimpse into it when he talks about this in the Lord's Prayer. He says, listen, when you pray, this is what you need to say. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's there's a glimpse here into this concept of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. He says, our father, he says, therefore, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a great commentary on this passage by a man by the name of William Barclay. And this is what he says here. He says, the second is a definition of the first. He says, therefore, in other words, what he's saying is, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And you're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then he explains it. On earth as it is in heaven. So therefore, we see that by the kingdom, Jesus meant a society upon where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of God is where his lordship and his authority supersedes anything in our sphere. Where his lordship and his authority supersedes the the, the systems that have been set up on this earth. It's where he is the lord of all and he is in charge and we are his workers that get to make that happen here on this planet. See, God has chosen to use us as the church to be his body and to bring the kingdom. And church, you are all carriers of the kingdom of God. Where his lordship and his authority 
is primary, is primary and first in our lives. He is God. He is Lord. And we have a call to help bring heaven, the reality of heaven, down to earth. There is a greater thing going on above us. There is a greater movement that is happening all around us. And he has called us in to be a part of it. And it is called the kingdom of God. Was that clear? Okay. We're talking about the kingdom. So now, what does it mean to live kingdom-minded? Here we go, guys. I'm going to go quick today. You ready? You with me? I've got five charges for you today. What does it mean to be kingdom-minded? Remember, it's, the definition is it's where um, uh, what's happening right now, therefore we see that God's will would be as perfectly done as in heaven here on earth. That God's will would be done perfectly as in heaven here on earth. Okay, what does it mean to live kingdom-minded as ourselves? Number one, it's to keep God's kingdom first over our own kingdoms. All right, so here's my life's verse. You ready? Matthew 6, This is what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. All these things will be added to you as well. Now, if you look at this passage, here's how you can read it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So the first part of this is about God's kingdom, and the second part of this is about our kingdom. The first part is God's kingdom. The second part is about our kingdom. And okay, here's how I used to read this when I was a kid. I thought, I can figure this out. I got this thing down. I know exactly how I'm going to live my life. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what's going to happen? All these things will be added to you as well. So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to defy society and what everybody's telling me that I need to do around me. I'm going to go after the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to get all this stuff. Because what does it say? Seek first the kingdom and all these things. Seek first the kingdom and all these things. But let me tell you, church, as I've grown and as I've matured, what I've come to understand and recognize in my life, that the verse here is not about all of these things. All of these things in this verse are an afterthought because the thing, the one thing, the thing that we ought to desire that will fulfill and satisfy us more than anything else in life is found right over here in seeking first his kingdom. So the question is, which kingdom are you seeking? Which kingdom are you seeking first? Are you going after your kingdom? Or are you going after his kingdom? And let me tell you, this is where there is life, and there is peace, and there is joy, and there is hope, and there is restoration, and there is a purpose, and there is a kingdom-minded thinking. And over here, well, this is just all about us. So here's how I read this now. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know what? All these things, they'll be added. But my purpose is to seek first his kingdom. Do you hear that? My purpose is to seek first his kingdom. Who has lordship in your life? What does it mean to be kingdom-minded? It's to put his kingdom first. I come under the authority of Jesus because I trust him and I know that he's able to make it work for us. Are you focused on the second kingdom or on the first? See, that's why we can read something like Luke chapter 9 verse 23 where Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What is that about? That's about putting this kingdom aside to go after the thing that matters most. Do you trust him? Have you leaned on him? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. Come on. This is the kingdom-minded mentality. Going after the kingdom first. Putting him first in your life. Are you under his authority? Are you trusting him? Are you believing that God can work in your life today? Are you making him first in your life? Or in all honesty, are we building our own kingdom? where we are Lord, and we're in charge. Church, step number one is trusting in him and keeping God's kingdom first over our own kingdom.
Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. To God who has reconciled us to himself and given us a ministry of reconciliation. Did you hear that? Somebody say, seek first. Okay, that's number one. Number two. How do we do this? We live generously. We live generously, church. Here's what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you put him first? One of the ways that you can know that you've put him first is where do you put your money first? Oh, man. See, I knew it. It's a church. They're going to start talking about money. (laughs) Can I just tell you something right now? God doesn't need your money. He's not after your money. We just read it here in the book of Matthew. You know what he's after? God is after your heart. He's after your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Come on. Being kingdom-minded means that nothing else is allowed to have lordship in your life. Our ultimate riches are in heaven. When you give your finances, you're giving notice to yourself and all around you that money is not your Lord. He is not your Lord. But Jesus is. Jesus is. And then you are sowing into the kingdom of God. You're sowing into what he's doing. Just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with having money. The problem happens when money has you. It's really quiet in here. Oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have stepped on that one, hey? Come on. The problem is when money has you. Live generously. Amen? Amen. Okay, number three. Pursue unity among believers. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which God has called you, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Come on. This is this idea of living in unity or striving to live in unity. This goes back to that value of family where the one who unites us is greater than the things that divide us. We should strive to live in unity. How are people in the world going to know that we are Christians? They're going to know we're Christians by our unity and by our love. Right? They're going to know that. And what does this look like practically? How do we live this out? Here's one of the ways we do it. Is um, we cheer on other churches. Amen? We cheer on other churches. So when we hear about the church down the road having revival and seeing many people get saved and baptized, there's two responses we can have. Number one is, oh man, what are we doing wrong? Or number two, go God! Right? Come on, this is about the kingdom. This isn't just about us. It's about God doing something greater than what's going on right here and right now. And we're a part of it. And so we cheer on other churches. We support other churches. We pray for them. And we got their backs. Here, let me come back to this again. We, our vision is we envision a thriving church that impacts all people. Okay, listen. If we see thousands of people come to Jesus through our influence, and they're planted in the local church, not necessarily ours, that is a win. And it is kingdom-minded. It's not just about us. It's about the kingdom of God. Here's another one with unity, this idea of forgiveness. We need to walk in forgiveness. We need to be quick to apologize, to ask for forgiveness. One of the things that I love about my wife, there's many things, trust me, but one of them is that my wife has this thing where she's like, we will not let the sun go down on our wrath. And yes, it's true. There is some wrath that happens in our house, okay? Just being honest with you. But we have this thing where we do not let the sun go down 
on our wrath. And, and my wife is a verbal processor, which is wonderful because I am not. I'm very quiet, kind of introverted guy. But my wife will talk it out, and she will not let me go to bed until we've talked it out and we've worked it out, and we will not let the sun go down in wrath. We need to live a life that is free of the hindrance of unforgiveness and bitterness. Amen? We need to be quick to forgive. You know, a wise person once said that unforgiveness is like taking poison and expecting it to harm the person that we're holding a grudge against. Right? It only hurts you. So church, let's be quick to forgive. This is kingdom-minded. He who forgave us has commanded us to forgive others. And, and Matthew 18, 21, it says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and you, I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Church, let's live in, in, a, in a spirit of forgiveness, in a spirit of grace towards other people. Can we do that? Can we work on that? Can we build that into ourselves? Amen? Kingdom-minded. Guys, I've only got two left. You with me? Okay, number four. Here's number four. Oh, this is a good one. Live as if all things are possible. See, Jesus looked to them intently in Matthew 19, 26 and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Matthew 9, 23 says, Jesus said to them, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. A kingdom-minded mentality is gripped by the fact that we serve the God who moves mountains. We serve the God who is always working. Listen, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Come on, with Him, all things are possible. You might find yourself in an impossible situation today, but a kingdom-minded mentality keeps a, a perspective that says, my God can do all things. My God can work even in this situation. My God can break through where it seems like there is no way. Oh, I just got another song in my heart. Come on. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, though. Or maybe I will. I see you move. You move the mountains. And I believe. I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there is no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. That's what God does. Come on, that's what God does. He makes a way. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who can break through where it seems like there is no way. He's the God that has your back, that can walk with you right now. Whatever you're going through, he can walk with you, and he can walk you through it. He says he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will fear no evil because he is with you, and he's walking you through into another mountaintop. That is our God. It's never so dark that God cannot find you. He's with you. All things are possible. Whenever a limitation is reinforced over and over, it can run into the situation where it can become your identity. And your world can become small and limiting. And the world around you has a tendency to push us into smaller and smaller boxes. But when the kingdom of God comes, it absolutely decimates limitations. That's what his kingdom does. All things are possible. Come on, we can dream big because we serve a big God. Amen? Amen. Okay, number five. We're going to close here. We're going to land the plane. Camp out here for a few moments. Number five. Live as a witness of Jesus. Kingdom-minded. So this is what it says in the book of uh, Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. You've got to recognize, you know, when I was a kid, um, I used to dream about being a secret agent. Man, I thought it'd be so cool to, like, you know, sneak around and, like, pass messages. And so I was constantly, when I was in the church, after school, you know what I was doing? I was spying on people. I was hiding under people, teachers' desks. They'd come in and work, and I'd be sitting there hiding underneath it. They wouldn't know I was there. I'd be like crawling through the ducts 
and like peering down as people are having meetings and like that was me. And I would like keep little like notebooks and like, you know, write stuff down about what was happening. I was all about like a secret agent. I was on a mission and that got me excited every day when I had to sit there and wait for my dad. And, and you know what? We were on a mission, church. God's got a mission. It's not so secret. He's got a mission for us, something for us to accomplish. When you walk around, you're not just whatever you are, <laughs> but you are ultimately an ambassador for Jesus. And his kingdom has the highest authority, so you walk in that every day. Come on. You're not just a construction worker, but you're an ambassador for Jesus. You're not just a a teacher, which is an amazing thing to be, but you're an ambassador for Jesus. You're not just uh, going to the grocery store, but you're an ambassador for Jesus. You're on a mission church. We are on mission. And this is what I love about what it says in the book of Acts. When the disciples are asking Jesus about the kingdom and he explains to them what it's going to look like right there, this is what he says. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is what it says. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love how he doesn't say, and I'm going to give you five points for witnessing. And here they are. Okay, number one, you do this. Number two, you do this. Number three, you do this. And I'm going to write it out in this nice card for you so you can take it with you wherever you go. So in case you forget, you can pull it out and you can read the scroll and say, oh, just wait, I got a message from Jesus here for you. No, 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 he didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to do this so well and how to sell this and how to live this. No, he says, listen, I want you to become a witness. In other words, when when people walk up to you and they poke you, the word of God comes out of you. It's an overflow of your heart. That you are a witness. It's not just what you do, but it's who you are. You're a witness of Jesus' work in your life. See, an encounter with the Holy Spirit leads to a life transformation that causes you to become a witness. What does this look like practically? When we got saved, we weren't saved because we were so smart. Amen? We were saved because the Holy Spirit drew us and brought us in. And called us to become a part of his family. And we were drawn in by the Holy Spirit. And he empowered us. He gave us grace where we didn't have it before. He gave us uh, a a favor where we didn't have it before. He gave us new life where we were experiencing death. And the Spirit of God brought us in and he empowered us. And then he called us to go out and to become a witness for him. He has reconciled us to himself. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. You're an ambassador for Jesus. You are a witness. And if we were just to unpack that for just a moment as we close today, we're going to go from kind of a zoom out uh, a vision here. And this is another thought about witnessing. A witness speaks to, of that which is known from personal experience. It's not an opinion. It's something that you have experienced. Jesus has worked in my life. I can't help but talk about it. Jesus has changed me from the inside out. I can't help but share that with the person at the cash register. Jesus has had a work in me. This Sunday, I encountered the, the Spirit of God, and my, my sister needs this today because she's experiencing something in her life that, that is challenging. And so this is, that's all I got. All I got is Jesus. So I'm going I'm to give you Jesus. I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to bring you to Jesus. And this is how it happens, church. Jesus says this. You're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea, then you're going to go to Samaria, and then the outermost parts of the world. Now, we're going to put up a map here, old school map, and this is the map of that area that he was talking about. And I hand drew, custom drew, a circle around Jerusalem. Yes, I have very unsteady hands when it comes to those things. I should have my daughter do it. She's amazing. But Jerusalem is there. Judea is the state, if you will, or the province of Jerusalem, okay? And then above them is Samaria, And then outside of that, you have the rest of the world. So you start out quite local, and then you work your way outward. Well, what does that look like in our lives, and how does does that apply to us today? We start in Jerusalem. You say, well, Matt, if I'm called to live in the kingdom, and you want me to go and reach the whole world, and there's all this stuff going on, how am I supposed to do that? And Jesus makes it really practical. He starts right at home. It starts with Jerusalem. That was where the disciples began. That is where this burgeoning movement called the church blew up. This is ground zero for a movement called the church that was about to explode. 
And I, and I read about this idea when I was reading uh, uh, some, some, some thoughts on this, uh, that they kind of put it out in, into a formula like this. And they said, listen, Jerusalem is where you're geographically close, you're culturally close, and you're relationally close. So this is the people in your sphere of influence. This actually starts with you encountering the presence of God, and then you carrying that encounter to the people in your vicinity. So your family people that you work with. This is, this is the, within your sphere. These are people that are geographically close, culturally close. So they're, they're like you. They're kind of in the same, you know, life is yours. They're in the same sphere, um, same influence as yours, and then relationally close. And the question is, on this one is, are we practicing his, his presence in a way that we become witnesses? The next one is we zoom out, as we Google Earth out from there, as we go into Judea. And Judea is geographically close, it's culturally close, but it's relationally different. These are people that you don't know that you run into as you live out your daily life. So we encounter the presence of God, right? Remember we talked about this in our values. We read his word, we pray, we spend time in worship, we encounter his presence. Then we carry that to the people in our, in our, in our immediate vicinity, the people that we have a relationship with. And then we go out from there into Judea, which is places that are close to us and culturally close to us. They're in the same kind of sphere. They're living the same kind of life that we are. But now it's relationally different. People that we don't even know. And you become a witness with your lifestyle and your speech to the people that you meet each day. Who are these people? These are the people in your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. Come on. These are the people in your neighborhood. They're the people that you meet each day. Bum, bum. Right? These are your neighbors. These are the people that you might not know. Have you met your neighbors? Go meet your neighbors. Turn them into Jerusalem from Judea. But that's what these people are. This is how we reach out to them. Number, th- number three is Samaria. These people are geographically close, but they're culturally different and relationally different. Just a thought about this. Your Samaria will be other people's Judea. Right? These are people that you ha- might have a hard time relating to. People that have had different life experiences, maybe. Maybe they're from a different ethnic background. These are people that don't fit into the sphere of culture that you're used to. And it might be outside of your comfort zone. But you encounter the presence of God. He fills you up. And you bring that encounter to the, to the world around you in your sphere of influence. Then you expand out into the world around you of people that you don't know. And then that expands out to people that not only do you not know, but you, you have a hard time relating to. And this is being a, to, a, a witness to people who are not like us. Okay, This is things like um, prison ministry. Maybe you've never been to prison. I haven't been there yet. So that would be a place, or hopefully never, um, that's a place where we could, that would be an example of going and reaching out to people that are in a different culture than us, right? Maybe it's people that are struggling with addiction or addiction recovery. That's a way that we can reach out to those people and we can love them. We can honor them. Remember that message from last week? We can help bring them up to another level. But, but, but people that are ethnically diverse, that are different than us, different ages, different wage demographics, watching out for the poor and pulling them up to another level. This is the idea of Samaria. And then last but not least, as we come to a close here today, fairly soon, it's the ends of the earth. And this is people who are geographically distant. They're also culturally distant, and they're also relationally distant. This is being a witness to people who are far from you. You're like, oh man, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways we can do that is by living generously. You know, when we give at the church or when you go and buy at uh, the living room store with Maureen and the team, what you're doing is you are sowing into the, reaching out to the ends of the earth, reaching out to the people all around us. And our church supports many missionaries. I don't have the pictures of them today, but we support many missionaries who are doing this right now. Another way that we're doing this, you guys, is we're building an online presence. 
for all those that are watching us right now. I don't know. There might be people watching us from Australia. There could be people watching us from Africa. There could be people watching us from all over the world. And listen, I love this thought that popped up at the beginning of COVID because we had never dreamed about going online prior to COVID. But one of the reasons that the gospel was able to go forth uh, in that book of Acts, one of the reasons that it was able to do what Jesus had commanded them to do is that the infrastructure was in place for people to uh, travel to different countries and to different areas. The Romans were in, um, in a place of authority at that time, and they had built roads and, and safe passages between the cities so that people could access those cities. The infrastructure was there. Well, church, if the Roman roads were the access point to people in the, in the, in the, in the early church, we have the internet today that gives us access to people's rooms. And so we're going to use the internet to interact and to connect with people all over the world. We have a greater influence than you would even know. It's to the ends of the earth. Church, here's what we envision. We envision a thriving church that impacts all people. And what is our purpose? It's to care for and to bring people to Jesus. And I'm going to close with a passage of Scripture. Because today is a charge. Today is a charge to you and to me to set our minds on the kingdom of God. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To therefore cast all of our cares upon him. To put all of our trust upon him. And to know that if we do that and put our hope in him and put our faith in him, guess what? All these things, they'll be added. But the real key comes from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we do that, we have a way of thinking that is outside of ourselves as we look to the world around us. Where in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. Amen? What I'm going to do now is I'm going to have Pastor Mike come, and he's going to pray a charge over you this morning. Um, And I just want you to receive it. Um, He may have a few words that he wants to say as he closes the service today. But I just want to challenge you and encourage you, church. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. I am so grateful that you are here today as the church, and you are witnesses for Jesus Christ. Amen.